0: Why couldn't the taxidermied lion eat another bite? I don't know why. Because he was stuffed. (laughs) It's manners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. You don't have that normal vim and verb (laughs) and vigor, my love. Well, tis the season, my dear, for post-nasal drip. Indeed, indeed. Man, here in Cincinnati. Man, Ohio, it is no joke. People make the joke, but, like, the weather, it fluctuates so frustratingly rapid. Like, this weekend, right? It was like... 12 degrees, right? Freezing. Monday, it's like 58, 60 degrees, right? Tuesday, 60 degrees. And then like yesterday, it was like 40 degrees. And today it's like 25 degrees.
1: It's And it's it's only going to drop. Where are you
0: at, Ohio? What's your deal? Why are you like this? <laughs> Anyways, it tends to mess with uh, 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 one's sinuses. Not to mention, we got a child on, what, day six? Of, like, stomach bug to cough, like, swing, which is fun and great and nice. Yeah, she hasn't been to school all week. It's great. (laughs) But, hey, here we are. Here we are, making the magic, making the donuts, making the magic donuts.
1: It's time to make the donuts. Yeah. I thought for a second it was meatball, but that's a spicy meatball, right? uh,
0: No, the meatballs are already made. Now it's time to make the donuts. (laughs) Okay, we made the meatballs yesterday and froze them <laughs> in preparation for the winter. All right, let's. You go. know how settlers always used to make the meatballs ahead of time. I don't time. know anything about meatballs. Settlers. And then they would bury them in the cold ground for the winter. You remember? I don't know
1: anything about what you you're talking about. You would build your
0: log cabin over a natural cold cave that you could keep your meatballs in. You remember? You were. Then there. what would you
1: do when it was time to make the donuts?
0: Well, the donuts you made in the hot oil spring.
1: Right next to your cabin?
0: Not right next to it. It was a bit of a trek, but it was worth it. Right, because donuts. you didn't want the oil
1: to splash up on your cabin and exactly. thaw you'd your meatballs. An, you'd have an
0: oily cabin. <laughs> Gross. All right, for reals, y'all. Today, I'm just a prep. This is probably gonna be a little bit of a short one. If you <laughs> Teresa's voice is a little messed up and we got a sick kid. Okay, today
1: we are talking about
0: taxidermy. I guess this. Okay, I know. Here's what I will say, I will not play dumb Mm -hmm. like I normally was not play. (laughs) I I will not be professionally dumb like I normally am. This has worked for me, I take this very seriously being dumb. Uh, But I know what an impact this had on specifically like the time period of, I wanna say like Victorian, I wanna say like 1880s on, taxidermy was a huge thing because you had people leading like all these expeditions to like Africa and Asia and like countries and everybody became very uh let's say colonialistically fascinated by oh. them and the idea of like look at this lion check out this tiger and like zoos weren't quite the thing uh that they are now and so it's like if you want to see these things you would like see a taxidermied version and they would always like taxidermy them as though they had defeated these animals in great battle and not like, oh, no, I had a gun and I was way far away.
1: <laughs> we'll get to that. I have
0: strong feelings. Anyways, go on. So, also, I know that they weren't always super good at taxidermy.
1: No, crazy. no, they, they definitely weren't. But if you are not familiar, taxidermy is the art of preserving an animal's body via mounting or stuffing for the purpose of study or display. So, any animal you've seen behind a glass case at a museum is taxidermied,
0: if you've ever um, unless to...
1: it is synthetic.
0: What's the one? The Natural History Museum in New York? It's yeah, like right that's a... what that's what it is. That one's full of taxidermied animals.
1: Absolutely, and there are some very famous specimens there that we will talk about. Okay. So, like, if you've ever seen a deer head mounted above a fireplace, sure, um, or and or a fireplace head mounted above a deer. Sure. So, usually when an animal is stuffed, it is meant to be portrayed in a lifelike state, although some would argue mm-hmm. that the tanning and wearing of pelts instead of—so, I would say that once a pelt gets completely removed of fur yes. and any identifying markings and turns into a, a, a cloth, that becomes leather, right sure so there is that line between pelts could be considered taxidermy because you are sure. trying okay. to preserve the fur on the pelt okay whereas leather wouldn't be considered it because that's just more using the the parts as cloth sure right
0: okay i guess i yeah i get that
1: so, the phrase taxidermy can be used to refer to the actual animal, but also the process of preserving the animal. Okay. It's derived from Greek, two words, taxis and derma. That well, makes okay. sense, well, wait, right? Can I get, yeah.
0: So, I know derma is skin. Mm-hmm. Taxis is what you pay every April the 15th? Nah.
1: Uh. Arrangement of oh, skin. okay. Or arranging skin.
0: Can I just say, like, this is a weird side note that maybe maybe a portion of our audience will get... But there's like a big through line in the Magnus archives, which is like a really great like horror anthology story podcast about like taxidermy. And it, uh, let's just say, impacted the way I will think about taxidermy for the rest of my life in a spooky, scary way. Oh boy. <laughs> and so like as you're talking about it, there is a part of my brain in the back that's just screaming. Go on. Um, also, hmm. uh, but here's my question. When you were a kid, or even now as an adult, How do you feel when you see, like, taxidermied things? Uh,
1: I just was never around it, really, as a kid. It wasn't part of my parents' aesthetic, and my grandparents were way too poor to have anything like that. Um, And uh, really the closest thing that I can think of having, like, an actual, like, dead thing in my home is that my my parents have this lamp that is supposed to be like a terrarium but it's not alive uh-huh.
0: oh i know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. it's
1: all dried reeds and grasses and flowers arranged to look like they're an actual terrarium yeah but there it's not it's, it's it all has dry. a bit of
0: the impact of this is a terrarium that we've taken very bad care of I mean, I guess. It's pretty, but though. It, Don't get me wrong. It's pretty, though. It's
1: very pretty, but it's it's very autumnal looking. Yeah, that's true. It's nice. And, I mean, nothing looks rotted, so it's not like it hasn't been taken care of. It's just not actually a terrarium.
0: Yes. And I, what I'm about to say, I do not want to open up a big discussion about, like, the merits versus the bad of hunting or whatever. But growing up in West Virginia... Seeing uh, like trophy antlers and deer heads and whatnot uh, was very common. To the point where sometimes you would just be at an antique store and out of nowhere, boom, deer. And like that, like I like a whole deer. Not like a whole deer, but just like there would be a deer head not positioned in such a way that it looked like it was looking out, but more like staring up at the ceiling. Um, and I don't care for it. Okay. And also, for some reason, and I think that this is a lot of this has to do with Disneyland and Disney World's fault, but there's a bit bit was a big thing in my childhood that I remember clearly of like this push for like, hey, our restaurant has talking taxidermy animals in it. And maybe that still happens a lot, but that idea of like, I'm sitting here eating and right next to me is like a buffalo head that all of a sudden's gonna be like, how's your wings? Or whatever. I don't care for it.
1: I I think that the odds that those were actual remains are probably very slim. Okay, but that's I'm not the I'm certain that they were synthetic, made to look like an animal. But still. Anyway. Still. Who would you guess were the first people to taxidermy? The Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, they were already doing it with humans. <laughs> okay, not quite. Oh, hey, so, you can't tell me mummies aren't taxidermy. We're going to pull out the insides, stuff them with stuff, preserve them. Taxidermy. Um, mummies equal taxidermy. Well,
1: Okay, here's the distinction. So mummification relies on a very specific set of like...
0: Skills, like Liam
1: Neeson. (laughs) A a preparation and such like that. Whereas when they, the Egyptians, were taxidermying things, they didn't really put that kind of, like, care and... So they were better at it with people.
0: (laughs) I'm going to die on this hill. Hello, my name is Travis McRoy, this hill is where I'll die. Whatever. So a
1: lot of the specimens that were taxidermied instead of mummified... Uh, did not survive. We know that they were there because oh, of they the didn't writings. survive through
0: time. I was going to say, of course, they didn't survive, <laughs> Teresa. No, through time. Okay, all right, that makes way more sense. <laughs> like I was like, that can't be what she means. Um, so you know,
1: you would be as a, a pharaoh. Uh, would be buried with all of their like accoutrements, right? To, of course, yes. So to that take they to could the afterlife, yes. take to the afterlife. Get um, their heart weighed by Anubis. Their yes. cats, dogs, monkeys, birds or whatever. Uh even their at pods, one point Game Boy games. They managed to preserve an entire hippopotamus. Oh nice. To send with the pharaoh. I mean, preserve it for yeah. a little while. Yeah,
0: probably against the hippopotamus as well if we're being honest. I doubt the hippo was like, "Yeah, I love that pharaoh. I want to be with him too. Let's do this."
1: Uh, so basically, they just preserved it enough so they could get it from not from death of the animal to the actual tomb. Yeah, like I said, the specimens are no longer around, sure. but there are writings saying that these things were in there.
0: And of course, picture and we have photographs. From Egyptian times.
1: Oh, we do, do we?
0: Well, they're different. I don't know where I'm going with this.
1: Are you talking about pic- pictograms? I don't... Like, hey, can I tell you? hieroglyphics? I don't
0: know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's been nobody a long does. week.
1: Nobody does. Okay. All right. Um, so some of the first taxidermy accounts um, mentioned outside of Egypt come from the 5th century BCE, and it's mentioned in the record of Hanno of uh, Carthagin's explorations of coastal Africa. He came to Carthage, which is located on the modern day Tunisia, excuse me. He described preserving gorilla skins that were hung in the temple of Astarte. Okay. So, um, you know, this was, it, it was something that was happening a lot in Europe Um, Also, you can think about how uh, many Native American tribes, uh, such as the Sioux, the Cherokee, Cheyenne, they also did the same, right? They would preserve the skins of foxes and raccoons and bears and buffaloes and porcupines and eagles, uh, not only to use as, as furs for warmth, but also to use to decorate their clothing and tools and equipment sure. and homes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots of indigenous people today who continue this practice of, of early taxidermy. They tan and preserve the animal uh, for traditional and cultural purposes. Okay, So you were either a tribe-based hunter in Europe or the Americans who wanted to tan and preserve uh, their kill for warmth and decoration— maybe a little bit of bragging rights, right? Sure. Uh, Or you were an Egyptian pharaoh who wanted to take his cat to the afterlife. Sure. Up until this point, though, taxidermy wasn't really considered like an art form. You kind of did what you had to do to try and keep the thing you wanted to keep
0: together. It was practical. It was practical more than it was uh, uh, artistic. Right. Okay.
1: Once we get... Uh, past the dark ages into the scientific revolution, things they change.
0: And I can't wait to hear about it. But first, how about a word from some other Max Fun shows? Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights at Fights. A backdropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling
1: with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host, Danielle Radford.
0: Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cal. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Lublin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fight. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on maximum fun. So, tell me about this new artsy fartsy <laughs> taxidermy. Um.
1: So, uh, this scientific revolution marked. Uh, the emergence of modern science. So from about the 1400s to the 1700s, there were lots of developments made in mathematics and physics and biology and anatomy and chemistry. And, you know, I mean, think about like Copernicus and Galileo and and all of those things. I think about them all the time. I know you do. The scientific revolution was taking place Uh, concurrently, to the artistic renaissance. Um, So not only was it important to be learning, it was important to create artistic representations, right? Um, So one could argue that taxidermy was the perfect blend between the science and the art of this colorful time in history. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in the renaissance, like paintings and such, we often talk about, you know, Europe, but there there was a it was happening pretty much all over the world um and everybody had this kind of you know their own style about it um museums early museums uh started to create displays featuring these wild animals kind of arranged thoughtfully sure. in their exhibits but not like interacting like you would you would think about like
0: So not like a diorama kind of deal.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, And each country had its own style to it. If you were checking out taxidermy in the Netherlands, you would run into a lot of stuffed birds. It was very important to the culture.
0: Um, I don't know why I said sure, sure, like I knew that. I don't. I don't know. Is Audubon from the Netherlands? I don't think so. Okay.
1: (laughs) Legend has it that a wealthy Dutch trader obtained an aviary of gorgeous exotic birds from the West Indies, but wasn't very good at keeping them alive, Hmm. Um, and so he uh, had them all taxidermied and preserved. And um, they were then wired and stuffed with cotton. And now they were posed in natural positions instead of just kind of like seated, right? And, and put just on like display. like playing
0: poker or something, you know? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because that's what they did a lot of. Do
0: you ever think about like... How, what a like weird and messed up concept exotic is. I mean, like on a, in I a mean, lot absolutely. of ways, right. But imagine like a, a Dutch trader in like 1650 seeing a pigeon and being like, Ooh, <laughs> what is that?
1: Exotic just means unfamiliar to me.
0: Yeah. I don't know it. Um, so can I talk about one of my favorite? Well, you keep going. And then I'll talk about my favorite example of taxidermy from around this time period.
1: Okay. Uh, we've gotten to the Victorian period. So if you're going to okay, talk so about this back. one, talk okay. this. Talk so this. Uh,
0: if you are near a computer and it's safe to do so, <laughs> Google King Frederick taxidermied lion, and you will find this lion. So basically, uh, the story goes in 1731, King Frederick the First of Sweden, uh, he got a lion uh, as a pet, a live lion. He loved the thing, and then when it died, he was really sad, and so he gave it to like his his royal taxidermist yes and but the thing is is like this taxidermist had no idea supposedly what a lion was supposed to look like he just had like the bones and the skin and so he tried to make a lion and it has this face uh that is clearly not right and it. it, it it has a bit of a mm, Hanna Barbera-esque oh, quality to yeah, it, doesn't it, does. it? Like it's going, hexits, hey, <laughs> right, a little bit to him. The eyes are like clearly wrong, too close together, looking to the side. The tongue is weird and it's kind of smiling. The teeth are out of this world. You gotta check it out, folks. It's almost like it has a person smile. It does look like it has a person smile. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at it from the side, it it reminds me a lot of like a Chinese lion statue. Oh, okay. Right, the way that the face is constructed, which maybe is like what they were going for, but from the front, it's just all wrong. Yeah, it's it's like it. It's great. Okay.
1: All right. So. We would be remiss if we did not mention the British Museum and the Great Exposition, curated by Prince Albert.
0: Oh, sure. That guy, yes.
1: Um, So the British Museum contained uh, in 1979, uh, contained the world, excuse me. I think that the... uh, The The cough drops are getting to your brain? In 1759. Okay. 1979. Where seventy nine, where'd that come from? I don't know, man. Uh, Contained the world's largest collection of animal skins displaying a total of 1,886 mammals, 1,172 birds, 521 reptiles, and 1,555
0: fish. That's a lot. That's a lot of animals. Now, not
1: all, these weren't all like completely stuffed and posed displays. Some were uh, prepared skin and bones. Yeah. Um, But it still attracted enormous attention and interest from the public. Sure, sure. Um, And then, so,
0: you know, this is interesting, by the way. This is a weird. Tangent, but you just made me think about it because of the interest that people had in this. Uh, I've been listening to this podcast called Red Web. It's all about like, you know, strange mysteries and everything. And one of the things they talk about a lot is like cryptids, right? So for those unfamiliar. Think like Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, uh, Mothman, these kinds of Jersey Devil, right? And uh-huh. it's so interesting because we now take for granted all of these animals that are not native to whatever area you live in, but you can identify. Like, you know, we live in Ohio, but I know what a lion looks like. I know what a tiger looks like, right? Right, Because I've seen them in zoos, I've seen them online, I've seen them in movies, I've seen them books in books, right? And but there's a time period where you know if some rich king had imported a gorilla for you know because he wanted to have a pet gorilla and the gorilla got out and you'd be like well that's a bigfoot right <laughs> like that idea of sure. like you wouldn't know what a gorilla looks like if you saw it okay and I think it's just really interesting to think like how many cryptid sightings were just like animals like I don't know what that thing is and it's like that's a bat. <laughs> That's a hey man. That's a bat. It's like I don't know what a bat is. It's sixteen fifty two. What are you talking about?
1: So the Great Exposition, man, it is rough doing this right now. The Great Exposition, exi- I think that's what you exhibition, exhibition.
0: exhibition. <laughs> okay, no, okay,
1: exhibition.
0: Okay, of the eight- Great Exposition <laughs> is, what is is at the beginning of every Game of Thrones novel. Help me. Oh Help no. Me. What, are are you asking me or the heavens? Oh no, we've lost her.
1: <laughs> oh God. The great exhibition of 1851, held by Prince Albert, uh at the Crystal Palace in London, uh pulled a whopping six million people. Which was a third of the entire population of Britain at the time. Wow! It was. Uh, it's often credited as the world's first world's fair. Yeah! Wow! Um, and it was the first time in history where taxidermists from
0: all across the world
1: gathered together to discuss and display their unique art form.
0: And um, probably get an idea of what some animals are supposed to look like, right? Yes. It's because then if you think about like if you picture a taxidermy bear. I guarantee we all picture the same pose, right? They're like, ah, arms man, up, mouths are open. up, mouth are open. Rarely do you see a taxidermy bear that looks like it's looking over its shoulder like, what? Right, <laughs> right. it's yeah, almost just, always just arms chilling.
1: up. Um, So earlier when you were talking about the Natural History Museum in New York, uh-huh. uh some of the specimens that are, are notable in there are made by Abraham Bartlett. He was the superintendent of the London Zoo at the time, and he was an expert in captive animals. And he wowed visitors with his complete life-size reconstruction of the dodo bird.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so
1: after this event, yeah. those Victorians, they could not get enough of taxidermied Specimens. Well,
0: this fits with our, uh, I don't know if this is the right term for this period, but maximalism, right? Where yep. Victorians were like, I want something in every open space of my home. I, I want a thin walkway to move from room to room. And otherwise I want globes. I exactly. want tusks. I want, they, and they th- didn't have a problem with ivory back then. They really should have.
1: And the part that really, I think, spoke to Victorians is that with taxidermy, you could have this this like ornate beautiful piece that is from the other side of the world and not have to go there. Yeah. You could sit in your not so comfy chair in your very stuffy living room surrounded by just breathing in soot from the <laughs> fireplace surrounded by these beautiful birds from the other side of the world and never have to lift a finger about it.
0: And plus with that big taxidermy bear it's going to create a really dynamic scene when there's a big stormy night outside and then there's a parlor room mystery and a locked door. Someone's been murdered. There's a big lightning strike. What's that? Oh, it's a bear. <laughs> right? You don't get that with a lamp, right? You need a bear for that. You
1: need a bear for that. But the other thing was it also fed into the um, the very strict gender roles that the Victorians had. Oh, yeah. If you actually went out and did... Get an an animal and have it stuffed. That was even more bragging rights to add to your, you know, your masculinity, Uh, right? All of this kind of stuff. And it really fed into these preconceived, very extreme gender roles that, that the Victorians held very dear. Gross. Um, scientists and the public of this time were enjoying a newfound fascination with the natural world. They were finding fossils and minerals and animals. And Oh, yeah. We've
0: talked about the, the bone wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bone wars. Look it up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cool name for a really silly thing. Well, I, it was the biggest boom of discoveries in, like, paleontology and, like, discovering dinosaur bones. But it also was, like, a really petty rivalry between these two dudes called the Bone Wars. It sounds like a Transformers thing. Anyways.
1: So at this point in history, you know, people are loving exploring and finding new things. Well, new to them. Right. And there are several... Like one might
0: find, (coughs) like discover a restaurant.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are several different uh, societies of taxidermists. One of them was created... um, in the 1880s, was the Ward Society of American Taxidermists. And one of the members worthy of mention is uh, Carl Akeley. Taxidermy for him was about getting closer to the natural world, wanting to know how the body worked, the texture of the skin, and understanding the movement. And uh, Carl Akeley is actually specifically very responsible for devising today's standard tax, uh, taxidermy method. He was a biologist, conservationist, and nature photographer. Um, and he agreed to work for the Natural History Museum in New York if they would finance his trips to Africa to collect specimens. Um, um,
0: just, I will also work for people if they pay for my vacations, too. I mean, there weren't vacations for him, but...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he got attacked by elephants twice. I don't want that. He discovered a new species of gorilla and felt such regret after shooting one to preserve it that he actually convinced the king of Belgium at the time to create a wildlife sanctuary for the apes.
0: Oh, wait, I kind of like this dude. Okay.
1: Uh, He survived a leopard attack by literally punching the cat in the throat. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, he did most of this while recovering from his most recent bout of malaria.
0: Okay we might have to do a bit of a bio on this fellow.
1: So you can see uh, some of his work in the Field Museum of Chicago, in Chicago or at the Akeley Hall of the African Mammals in the Natural History Museum in New York. So uh, between the Victorian era up until, like, the modern age, there really weren't any taxidermy schools until about, like, the 1970s. And that's when you start to see... The, the care and concern really uh, show in the art for the actual animals. There are a lot of um, people who love taxidermy, but mm-hmm. they also love the ethically sourced taxidermy that they find. So if you're going to collect taxidermy, I would suggest that you either go for uh, vintage pieces or that you source ethically sourced Taxidermy. So these are animals that uh, were not hunted for their pelts, uh, but they either died of natural causes or um, they are like um, like revamped older specimens and things like that. Um, you can love taxidermy, but it's also okay if you feel a little icky about this topic. I That's do. all right. Yes. Um, It can be seen as odd and some people think it's creepy Um, and it might, you know, it might be strange to you to taxidermy a beloved pet, whereas to another person it might not be. Uh, But, you know, your feelings are valid for either end of this spectrum here. So uh, Victorians may not have really cared about shooting a gorilla for science, but modern taxidermists uh, rarely ever advocate for killing something for the sake of the art. Um, there's a really great book, uh, Divya and Atharaman. I really, I, hey, you that was you did bad. your best,
0: and I really appreciate you.
1: Is a professional taxidermist, a self-confessed cheerful goth, and co-author of a book called Stuffed Animals, <laughs> who has a great quote about it, saying... Ethics are individual, and I have yet to meet a taxidermist that enjoys cruelty or harming animals. Today, taxidermists rarely advocate for killing something for the sole sake of art. For those that do, all I can say is live and let live. Personally, I prefer working with animals that died of unavoidable circumstances like old age or untreatable illness. Thoughtful sourcing is the opposite of cruelty.
0: I agree with that. All right, that's going to do it for us, but we got some brand new, really exciting merch over in the MacroY Merch Store. Go to McElroyMerch.com, check out the pin of the month, Sawbones number two books having to do with an episode they did about the impact that books have on people's digestion. Let's just say that. Uh, the uh, Bookstores. Bookstores, thank you. Have on people's digestion. Yeah, (laughs) don't eat books. The benefits, uh, the sale of those pins benefits the National Black Women's Justice Institute. Uh, They research, elevate, and educate the public about innovative, community-led solutions to address the criminalization of black women and girls. We've got our 20 Rendezvous pins for the new year. 20 Rendezvous. Uh, Two pins one is prom style of me justin and griffin and one is the three of us on a floating tandem bicycle uh they're available individually or as a pair and they're designed by lucas hespenhide so go check those out and inspired by uh i believe justin and sydney is a i'm not ashamed of my clown husband sticker That also applies to you, honey. Oh, that's great. Uh, It's designed by Jacob Bailey and it benefits the Huntington Children's Museum, which is creating child-centered spaces that promote exploration and a love for learning through play. So go check those out. I got to get one of those. Okay. It's funny when I say it. Um, go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. If you want to see all the other Macroy projects, you can go to macroid.family. What else, Teresa?
1: We always thank Brent, Brent of Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That's at SchmannersCast. And that's where we get listeners submitted questions when we call for that. Um, so give us a follow. Also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pennant Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners fanners if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans please join that group today also thank you so much to uh, rachel our editor thank you to alex our our researcher and writer and we would not be able to do the show without you folks Um, if you would like to submit a topic or an idiom or just say hi to alex you can email us schmannerscast at gmail.com
0: That's going to do it for us, so join us again next week.
1: No RSVP required.
0: You've been listening to Schmanners.
1: Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it.